Hey, everybody, Eric Bailey, Eli Letterman talking OU athletics again. Eli, it's good to see you again. I hope you think I'm looking like a coach. I am in, actually in the OU media room. I found a quiet place to, to do my part of the podcast. So I got the OU banner behind me. It's it's real. I promise it's not something I threw <laughs> out there. So I feel like I'm, I gonna, like I'm ready to take questions. I was going to say, I love your new wallpaper. It looks great. <laughs> <laughs> the, the wallpaper you put up. It's real. I got. I can even pull up the... Uh, Sooner Sports Mike, if you want. Oh, wow. So, yeah, sorry. You really do look like, like a, it feels like we're back in, like, the right after, you know, the seasons that got played after after COVID-19 hit and we're talking to coaches on Zoom. This would take me all back. Well, now I know Porter Mosier's life up here at this podium. So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I'll change the subject. Because, yeah, that was just fun. That was the fun part of this. Uh, a lot of busy week for football, basketball. Uh, it, it, it's been crazy. And if you don't mind, let's start with basketball. Because, you know, let's I think Tuesday night you made the trip to Allen Fieldhouse. Full disclosure, I went to school at Haskell Indian Nations University in Lawrence, then transferred to KU. So I've been to Allen Fieldhouse for a handful of games and I've covered some games there and uh, you got to, you did a unique thing. Instead of covering OU's close call against the Kansas, I really think they, man, they let one get away. You had a chance to watch Porter Mosier in front of 16,000 people coach. And just how much fun was that to write your story that you did? Yeah, well, I guess in the interest of, if we're doing disclosures, we should disclose that I'm a University of Missouri grad. He's got a lot of feelings about <laughs> KU. Um, but, you know, before I get to that, I and we, you and I talked about this yesterday, is, uh, I, I'm a Missouri grad. I have a lot of reasons to dislike KU, but Allen Fieldhouse remains probably one of the most special, I think, college venues in, in the nation, I guess, in the world uh, for, for that matter. And it doesn't disappoint. And the reality is not knowing when OU is going to be going to the SEC, not knowing what the basketball schedules will necessarily look like in the Big 12 if they're still there next year. This might have been one of Oklahoma's last trips um, to Allen Field has, if not the last trip. And, and so there was all that swirling around. And then to go with the fact that the Sooners haven't won there in 30 years and what a way it would have been to finish if that was the last time kind of they're guaranteed to go there. So it was quite a setting. The place didn't disappoint. And as you said, um, I, I decided not to make this a, a standard game reporting trip. Um, tried to think a little bit outside the box. And so I found myself, I, I didn't sit in my assigned press seat. I found a rare open seat in, in a, inside of Allen Fieldhouse and just took a view of Porter Moser and kept my eyes on him as the game went on really from start to finish. Uh, and it, it turned out to be a, a fun piece and quite a game that, that helped me uh, in terms of the storytelling was getting to watch Porter Moser and the way he coached and reacted and responded uh, in a game where the Sooners really played well for, I'd say the first uh, exceptionally well for the first 37 minutes, you can have complaints about the fouls. You can have complaints about the three point shooting. Uh, but but they played well, and then it was just that in those final minutes, having an eye on Porter Moser as that lead disintegrated as as some ill-advised shots went up. It was interesting to watch, made for an interesting story, and 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 getting to tell it, I guess, from in a sense Porter Moser's perspective. You know, I, I tweeted this after the game. Six of the last nine visits to to Allen Fieldhouse for the Sooners, they've had a chance to win, and this was probably one of their their best opportunities, being up ten with the five to go. I mean, it was just. They had looked like they had the game in control, and it, it just looked like one of those times when the team they're just put in a position where they're not really familiar with. It's hard to finish games when you you just don't know how to finish, and it's so hard to finish when you're in Allen Fieldhouse uh, with that crowd. It seemed like they woke There's up about that building, man. Yeah, that something about that building, and then you know Oklahoma. It's hindsight's always twenty twenty. It just seemed like they settled for a lot of three pointers at the end. 
took away. They, they weren't aggressive. I, th I thought they could have gone to the hole a little bit. Now, that being said, I don't know. Are you going to get the whistle in Allen Fieldhouse for going to the hole? Yeah. You never know. But just a tough loss. And this would have been a huge win for uh, Oklahoma's resume. They've now lost three Big 12 games, each one to a ranked opponent by a total of eight points. I mean, the Sooners, as Porter Moser put it afterward, and he was struggling a bit at the podium. I just think he was so frustrated and, and really hadn't – the time between leaving the court and talking to us was not enough time to process that game. He, he said, though, we're right there. And he, he's not wrong. They, they have been right there. But the problem is they've been right there, not uh, – the guy. I don't know, on top of it. Whatever you need to be to close out these games because they've been close – um, it, it's funny. You, if I had told you pregame that Kansas was going to shoot 31 second half free throws and that mm -hmm. OU would shoot two of 17 from three point range, you'd have said no way they could have won that game, but they really had it in their hands. And it goes back to this defense in the final four minutes that Porter Moser has talked about. They're kind of hard stats to come upon. He's got them. He's shown us the, the folder he's got. He'll, he'll show that off, but trying to find them anywhere, trying to do that, Matt, pretty challenging. So we don't know the metrics, but the eye test tells you everything. It was the latest story against Kansas was their defense at the end of games. Something is missing there. And the other night they were in foul trouble and, and they were, I think, by the end of the game, so worried about defending and, and not fouling that it almost came back to bite them. Uh, but but it was a, it didn't take much. Kansas went on its run. The Sooners probably kind of managed the game better. You talked about some of those shots uh, early in the shot clock, three-pointers they didn't need and from guys they probably didn't need them from. Uh, and, and those are the things, and that's where Kansas can get you. It doesn't take much for the second-best team of the nation in that building to do it. And so now the Sooners come home. They play West Virginia. I think we're going to see a lot of close games. I, I don't think it's going to be any different moving forward. It's such an even conference. And OU has shown that, you know, right now they would be near the bottom of the league standings. They just contended with the best team in the league, according to all the, all the rankings. We'll see where they go from here. But those close games and their record in them is, has got to be a concern given the fact that I think they're going to play a whole lot more close ones. You know, and you think about it too, home games are going to be so important, especially when you get West Virginia at home. It's almost, you don't want to say must win when you're this early in the conference season. But man, after losing those two close home games last week, you really want to try to take care of business. I can say this, I'm upstairs from the court. I'm inside the Lloyd Noble Center. You can hear them. They're screaming. They're, they're, they're focused. They're having a tough practice down there. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. 11 a.m., correct? 11 a.m. I like it. It's like back to, to football season. <laughs> and uh, well, I'll see you there. Yeah, you can, that's hang, you can you can hang in this room. I, I just I'll just put it put it out, pull out a sleeping bag and stay in the media room overnight. <laughs> uh, let's let's switch to football and just a lot a busy, busy week. And let's start with the breaking news first. Jackson Arnold, uh, Gatorade, National Gatorade Player of the Year. Just a big, big, another big accomplishment, big accolade for uh, for uh, Jackson Arnold. Yeah, well, we've talked, you know, he's, he was the Texas Gatorade Player of the Year, and that's one accolade, and, and maybe not all that surprising given the senior season he turned in and, and the caliber of recruit he is, but, uh, and, and I, I imagine OU fans will will enjoy this bit of it. He was a finalist a, a, alongside a Texas quarterback, soon-to-be Texas quarterback, Arch Manning, and a USC quarterback, Malachi Nelson, and he beats those guys out. That That's no small feat. It would not have been any kind of disappointment, I don't think, if he'd finished third among those guys, those are, we're talking about three of the best quarterbacks in the nation in a, in a recruiting class that's being talked about as kind of the year of the quarterback. So for Jackson Arnold to win, it's another accolade, uh, per, perhaps the last high school accolade he'll collect before getting on campus next week. Uh, that's the big part. He's one of the 14 guys who will be here for spring camp and getting into everything. We'll see him in the spring. And, and so the excitement only bubbles for, for Jackson Arnold. 
Uh, but he's not the only newcomer, right? We got a lot of portal stuff to talk about. Ten uh, yeah, 10 newcomers, nine scholarships. Yeah, yeah. I, it's been crazy. Just since we last talked, it's been crazy with how much action they've had. Uh, uh, Andre, Andre, Andrell, Anthony, is that Andrell? Andrell. Come on, Andrell. that's that can't. You're, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Andrell, Anthony, yeah, that's not a PJ. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not a PJ. Yeah, uh, got a kid out of Michigan, wide receiver out of Michigan, filled a need mm -hmm. that they need. Uh, Davon Sears from Texas State and Rondell Bothroyd. I hope I say that right from Wake Forest. Uh, among the newcomers this week. Uh, they had three straight days of getting transfers, and it brings the number up to 10. just thought it was interesting that they did uh, get that wide receiver that they ne needed. Anthony, uh, they, they need that outside threat, that uh, that speed threat. It seems like he has all the tools for that. Uh, fresh, two years uh, at Michigan, his freshman year, had the big game against Michigan State, two touchdowns, but 150-plus yards. Mm -hmm. uh, so the 93-yard score in there. Yeah, now, yeah. So the ability – the big play uh, uh, the big play capability is there and they really needed someone after losing four wide receivers they needed to fill that spot and that's i mean that's the thing of it is there's six days left today's thursday there's six days left before that deadline i'd imagine the sooners are going to try to add more and wide receiver would still be that place i'd look because mm -hmm. you don't just simply replace a marvin mims and and as impressive as some of the attributes that andrew anthony brings he comes from michigan you know, he, he caught seven passes for 80 yards this year, and, and maybe they see something there. The skill set jumps off the page. You, you see what he's got. But we are not talking about a sure thing and, and, and what he's got to replace. Uh, and Marvin Mims, he was the surest thing Oklahoma's had in the passing game for really the last three seasons. And a uh, stat I had, I think I was working on it when we talked last time on the podcast, but Oklahoma's going to be down 66.5% of its receiving production. And that's with uh, with Eric Gray, with uh, Braden Willis, Theo Weiss, along with Marvin Mims. So they're going to need more than just Andrew Anthony. And maybe they can find more on the portal in the next week. Maybe there's going to be from within. Uh, I know we uh, we spent a lot of the fall talking about Jaden Gibson and, and some of those other young receivers. Uh, maybe it's someone in this new class, but they're, they're going to need a lot there. there there's going to be new faces. And so maybe Andrew Anthony is one of them. Maybe they add. Uh, in, in this next six days. Now, Eric, out of the, the group that they have taken on from the portal yet, who, who are you most intrigued by? Is there a position mm. that is, has jumped out to you the most? You know, I, I really think just simply because they really need the help, it was, uh, and I don't, again, the, I hope we get the last name right, Rondell Bothroyd, Bothroyd, Bothroyd out of Wake Forest. I mean, here's a guy who's just an impact player and uh, the kind of player that Oklahoma really needs in their system. Uh, last 26 games, 93 tackles, 24 and a half were lost and 15 and a half sacks over the last two seasons. Uh, you know, 15 and a half sacks, that's a, that's a crazy high number. And he was a co-captain for the Demon, too. He, you know, he, he was a leader at Wake Forest. So I think that's something else that's going to be huge. And it's, it's, a, it's a position of need. I mean, you look at that defensive line, you know, they, they had Jacob Lacey from uh, Notre Dame early. Uh, they got the the Davon Sears from Texas State, which, you know, they beat out Penn State and Tennessee to get him to come to Norman. So I think that's huge. And they got uh, Trace Ford. So I think the defensive, uh, defensive line, defensive ends, I think that's huge. But I, I'm really curious to see how uh, Bothroyd really fits into what Brent Venables wants to do on defense. Yeah, I think if if you wanted any indication of where they felt they had to, to bolster themselves, the Sooners, there you go. They They attacked defensive line really hard. And they brought in effectively. We'll see how it all pans out. I'm sure that's going to be one of the competitions we keep an eye on in the spring and summer. But if they wanted to, they could start a completely new defensive line just through the portal. 
And I, I think that's huge. I mean, we saw that defensive line fade over the course of the season. I, I think in some senses you can look at it as, you know, a, a front six almost of, of the, the two linebackers you throw in there. They were so thin at those spots this year. Um, and I think adding there and the way they've added shows you they, they felt the same and that they've, they've done something to reinforce it. Uh, we'll, we'll see how all these guys hit if they're all contributors right away. But uh, that's where they've addressed. And I, I'm also intrigued. I know he, he's the one non-scholarship guy on that list. But if all goes what you presume to be according to plan, Luke Elzinga, the preferred walk-on punter, is someone we'll see maybe more than any of these guys next year because they, they need an heir to Michael Turk, who was such a weapon all year. We heard Brent Venables talk about that often. Uh, they're going to need him to, to be the, 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 the new big-time punter who can win the position battle, help this defense, and, and help this offense, uh, I guess this team, set up in ways that Michael Turk did. So I'm, I'm intrigued by him. He'll be far down the list of, of you know, the real sexy names on that list. Uh, but I'm intrigued by him. Maybe it's intriguing that they don't have a kicker yet or that they've not added one. I, I know there was, at least among the fan base, some murmuring about uh, – the kicking at the end of the, the, the season and uh, in the future there. So we'll see what they do these next six days. And uh, uh, But I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, you've got to be thrilled with the defensive additions they've made this year, not having to recruit like they did last year, which was so fast-paced, getting the, the program just up and running again. This year, it seems they've made some pretty considered decisions. You know, you mentioned the kicker position, Oklahoma's last four losses uh, by three points each. And there were a lot of big missed kicks in, in those games, too. So I think it's it's something you really do have to look at. You, you look at everything if you're Brent Venables and how you want to try to improve everything. I want to say it was Gavin Schmidt, five of his last six kicks, or maybe missed kicks in five of his last six games. It was a rough stretch for him yeah. at the end of the season. As you point out, those three-point losses, uh, they, they could have used some of those mates there. When we look at this, you mentioned the wide receivers room and what they have at wide receiver and a uh, new name, uh, not a player, but a coach uh, join in the program. Emmett Jones from Texas Tech uh, spent the last season as the Red Raiders uh, wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator, going to do the same job at Norman after one year there. Interestingly, he was at three for three years prior to Tech. He was at Kansas as a wide receivers coach and uh, spent right before uh, the coaching change. Uh, at Kansas. He was the interim coach during the spring. So a lot of respect for this young coach. Brent Venables uh, wrote and talked about him, said he's really high on, on what he can bring to Norman. And uh, I had a chance to talk to a couple of his former players at KU who said that everyone was going to love him. So the, those receiver rooms are there. They're, they're going to get a kick out of working with him. They said that before a game, he'd be in the, in, he'd be pacing in the locker room with the players, have his headphones on, listening to music. And he was <laughs> look like he was look like he was ready to put on a jersey and go out there and play. So uh, just turned 48 this year. I, we found that out too. So his 48th birthday was his first day at the job. But from what everything I heard from the, the two players that played for him at Kansas, the wide receivers, they said that he'll do what he'll fight for his players. He's going to, the coach, the players are going to love him and he's going to expect a lot out of him. So just a big hire for the Sooners. Yeah, and, and probably a, a pretty major note as we're talking about where the Sooners are now. Recruiting was so big this year and, and will be even more important, um, you know, when they get to the SEC. I think Monday night, the national title game was uh, a pretty good evidence to, to the Sooners, not just of what they're going to see when they get to the SEC, but also the importance of stacking classes and recruiting year in, year out. That's Georgia looks like Georgia because they recruit like that. And so that's all important. And and Emmett Jones comes with, with experience and, and a and roots in that DFW area. He can recruit Texas. I mean, that, that's, that's been a major issue uh, for, for the Sooners on the whole, but building there, having those relationships, 
uh, he's got that with him too. And his, his arrival comes, does come at the expense of the Damian Washington um, and, and who, you know, stepped into a pretty difficult situation in August. He was the, the interim replacement for Kale Gundy after his resignation. And by all accounts, whether you want to talk about players, coaches, Brent Venables himself, smashed the job, did a great job, was, was a lot of what he'd been promised that he was an analyst before that, who, who was highly regarded and, and really lived up to it and, and not a bad word said about him. But I think, you know, when we're talking about the level that OU's at and where it's going to be in terms of a football school a few years from now, the experience that, that Emmett Jones brings is important, the connections he's got. And it was nice to see that LaDamian Washington, who it's worth noting, Brent Venables said in a statement they would, they would try to find an elevated role for him. He's going to be headed to Western Kentucky with what I'm sure is going to be the start if he sticks with it of a, of a productive coaching career because he he certainly left a mark in his in his one year uh, with the Sooners. In my Ian Mall voice, tops, tops, tops. There you our, go. Our photographer, <laughs> Ian Mall, is a Western Kentucky grad, so I can hear him now saying tops, tops, tops. So there you go. I, I thought, like you said, I agree 100% with what you said about LaDamian. When you, you think about the position he was put in, in in early August, said, hey, we're going to thrust you into the uh, role as the interim wide receivers coach and, and and bring them all together in one room and have the biggest one of the biggest position groups and say, take over in your first coaching job. What he did was amazing. And Oklahoma fans really have to really be thankful for what he was able to do during that time as the interim coach. And if anything, it, it, it also allowed him to really grow as a coach. And there's a reason Western Kentucky probably offered him the job. They know that he has that experience in Oklahoma one year, plus got to work with Jeff Levy too. So uh, just a great, yeah, I think Oklahoma fans really owe a lot, a debt of gratitude to him for what he was able to do. And as well, he had the tweet of the day yesterday when he tweeted, woke up from a map, what did I miss? <laughs> that, that tweet came right after the hiring, the announcement of the hiring of the wide receivers coach. So, And then he also had a really nice tweet uh, just talking about how tough a decision it was to leave Norman and go to Western Kentucky. So we'll keep an eye, we'll keep tabs on him. He's one of those coaches we'll keep an eye on too. So uh, a couple other departures too. We, we talked about coaches, Marvin Mims. We really haven't talked, we mm -hmm. talked a little bit a second ago, but Marvin Mims leaving, joining the NFL draft. I don't think that's a big surprise. Uh, we've been able to see him really excel in three seasons in Norman. And then uh, a starter, David Igwebu uh, on defense uh, announced that he's entering the transfer portal. As of today, it's Thursday, about four o'clock. We still don't know what his destination will be. But here's a guy who was the second leading tackler on the team. Uh, and I know there were fans that really were critical of the way he played. But when you saw the players, the way they stepped up and, and to a man on social media, they all thanked him for his leadership, his guidance. And yep. that's one thing you remember. He, you know, he, he it may not have been the result you wanted at times on the field, but he did mean a lot to the program. And he, he worked hard for the program, too. With, and his teammates, he earned the respect of his teammates. So we don't know what's going to happen with David, but he's going to look and find another place, too. So a couple of players, uh, we talk about leadership, talk about new new faces. These are two big ones leaving. Uh, as I learned from tweeting on uh, about David Igwebu, there is a very vocal, maybe it's a minority, but a portion of the fan base that feels strongly about him and, and how he played this fall. And, and there's certainly rightful critiques of, I mean, shoot, that defense, we watch it every week there. There's a lot of critiques to be had. Brent Venables and his staff, I'm sure, would have critiques of, of how their defense looked at times this fall. But we also know the linebacker position, based on the fact that David Igwebu uh, Deshaun White and Danny Stutzman played virtually every snap. It was a thin position group and one where they they really didn't have much to go on behind those starters. So I think wishing away a guy, and maybe it was a, a mutually best decision. Maybe the, 
the plan next year is not for David Aguayo to be a starter. I would it'd be great to go see him. A guy I think I can also say was always there after he was a pretty prominent figure uh, in terms of post games and a lot of the difficult post games. Uh, I know he spoke in Texas. He spoke at TCU. Uh, two of the toughest games we saw that defense go through this year. So a guy a loss like him, I don't think is one you wish away. Maybe he finds a better landing spot for him in 2023, but. I don't know that the Sooners at this point with the depth and, and that's probably one spot they really haven't addressed heavily in the portal is linebacker uh, is, is a guy who's played as much as he has as many tackles as he has and, and who a, a leader as you kind of laid out that that is a, a loss. And, and now it's going to be a lot on that young talent. You're Jaron Canix, Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie. They, they have a lot of freshmen they're excited about, but I don't think you can, you can put a price on the experience that, that David Aguibu did have. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it, it Maybe it was mutual. Maybe it was the win-win for both parties. So we'll see what happens with David. Um, and Dylan Gabriel, how about him yeah. announcing that he's staying? Uh, I think we pretty, I, I think most people realize, thought that he'd come back. I, I, and I was one of them. I thought, well, he's going to come back and uh, made the announcement official. I think it's important for him to come back. He has a grasp of this offense. And he's been a little bit more outspoken on Twitter during these recruiting. I, the, the memes, <laughs> the Dylan Gabriel memes, where have these been? I know. I, <laughs> I think there's going to be an exhaustive accounting of, of the memes, perhaps done by myself uh, when, <laughs> when the portal quote, once we're done, I've got to run through these, see, see where it's coming from, see which the best were. There were some kind of false flags too. He, one of his best memes was uh, directed at Matt Lee, his old center mm-hmm. who who went to Miami. So mm-hmm. it, they not all memes are created equal, I guess, and and or equally effective. Uh, but he he is coming back, <laughs> and uh, he has since making that announcement been a lot more creative on social media. Well, and, and the big thing with Dylan is, and we've talked about this in the past, how important it'll be for him to be on campus with Jackson Arnold arriving. I mean, he, every good quarterback has always had a mentor, someone to look up to, and Dylan Gabriel. Uh, using a Brent Venables term, he's scarred up. He's played a lot of games, and I think that's going to help. That relationship between uh, Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold is going to be huge, and I think that uh, I I think it's good that he's coming back, and he's they're going to learn. They're going to learn from each other, and it'll be tested by them. So a lot, a lot of you know, like you said, we're not done with the portal stuff. Next week, we'll it wraps up the the thing Wednesday. Is that correct? Uh, the the yeah, portal, the 18th portal is the, the, on Wednesday, so we'll see what happens with Oklahoma. If there's an offensive lineman out there, they really need to fill that offensive tackle position. It'd be great if you could, they lost a guy to Nebraska from Stanford. It'd been great if they could get him because they just need experience at that position. I mean, they, they're building depth. And they need to get some experience. It would have been great to get a one-year guy in there just to allow some of the guys behind him. They have a year to continue to, to grow, and now you might get a, a young guy thrust in those positions, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, that was that was Walter Rouse coming from Stanford, who had the Sooners in Iowa uh, in his uh, final three and a big win, I guess, for Matt Rule and the, the Huskers. One more note on Dylan Gabriel. It's yeah. not going to be the most important thing once we kick off in September, but just think about the position the Sooners would be in if he had declared for the draft or declared for the portal on January 5th and the mad dash they'd be making to find a quarterback. <laughs> because I think we saw this year how they felt about the quarterback depth they currently have. Jackson Arnold could go on to win three Heismans. It does not mean he's ready for uh, Arkansas State on September 2nd and, and to be a year one starter. And, and so the fact that they've got security at the position on top of Dylan Gabriel's experience, on top of what we saw him do this fall, is big because, man, we you and I would have had a crazy couple of weeks if, uh, if they were chasing a quarterback out of the portal right now with, with how late in the game it is. 
Let's uh, switch one last topic, women's basketball, if you don't mind me switching over there. I uh, had a chance to spend time with Taylor Robertson and Jenny Baranchek this afternoon. That's why I'm in Norman working on a feature on Taylor Robertson, who is eight three-pointers away from becoming the all-time three-point leader in, in women's college basketball history. So had a great time talking to her. The Sooners are 19th overall, coming off an 89-79 win in Lubbock. Uh, Playing good basketball, tied for first place in the Big 12. So uh, it's a lot of fun. And Jenny Baranchek, uh, she – when we were talking, just uh, she said she would love for fans to come out. I mean, it, it, because if you think about her, you think of Maddie Williams, you think of Anna Lanusa. Uh, these are all seniors playing their last home games. They're only you can almost count on one hand how many home games they have left. And as she did, uh, Coach Branchek would really love everyone to come out and watch them play. You think they're missing out on something, and they could be because you, you look at Oklahoma; they're fourteen and two, right, or thirteen and two, excuse me, tied for first again in the Big Twelve. I, it's a fun team to watch, and it, it, it was fun watching that game last night too. Uh, and you got a chance to watch them uh, play yeah. Iowa State, get a big win against Iowa State last weekend. Well, God, if you want a selling point as to why to go watch this team, it's because not only are some of the best teams in, in the nation in the Big 12, so they're coming through Norman, but OU is capable of going toe-to-toe with all of them. And they did that with Iowa State on Sunday uh, last week. And it was Anna Yanusa who was playing, it appears, the best basketball she's played since since her ACL injury. She's comfortable. You know, she said she was asked, you know, if she's her most confident she's been. She said, well, I'm getting my confidence from this team being as confident as we are. And what more of a confidence boost is there than not, you know, withstanding Ashley Jones dropping 27 points and, and everything Iowa State can throw at you. And that, that right there, you're looking at a, a easily a, a sweet 16 elite eight contender. You know, you dealt with them on their home floor. So there's every reason to keep going uh, and, and for fans to be going to these games. If you're frustrated with the men's team. Uh, a, a team that probably won't frustrate you, a team that'll excite you, is this OU women's team because they've been—they're really fun to watch. They're playing fun basketball with Jenny Bronchek, and there's there's just a lot of good stuff going on with that program in a, a week where I think a lot of people are disappointed in Porter Moser's bunch. Thirty-five made baskets against the Red Raiders last night. They had twenty-seven assists. They share the basketball. It's fun to watch the ball movement. Yep. With this team, so uh, yeah, it's it's and they they play Kansas uh, two o'clock Saturday, so uh, it, it'll it'll double header. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Eleven and two. And eleven. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I, I did have. Did Taylor Robertson tell you uh, which game she plans to break the record in? Eddie Radosovich asked. I have no no idea why. Our friend from Sooner Scoop. Uh, maybe there's betting considerations there. <laughs> <laughs> she needs eight they got te- they got KU uh Saturday they go to TCU and then a week from Saturday home bedlam game so we'll talk about a Hollywood That'd be a time to do it imagine man if she could do it against uh, the cowgirls on their home court and my guess is she probably wants to do it on her home court but more important to her and I she said this more than once when I talked to her, she wants to win games. She doesn't care when the record comes as long as they're winning. And she's really a, a selfless uh, player like that. She really wants to, what's best for the team. So had a lot of fun talking to her. So we'll see. We'll see. Eddie, Eddie, yeah, you, there might have been some gambling concerns there. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I will say, too, you know, we were focused on the three-point record. But when I was there Sunday, Taylor Robertson also passed Danielle Robinson for the, the all-time minutes record in program history. So she's checking them off on the record books. Uh, I don't think it, it, she, there was almost anything other than this three-point record she needed to do this year to cement this. But she is certainly now in that class among probably, the, you know, a handful of the best players in program history, at least on what she's accomplished, That the statistical number. She, she's right there and she's only building on it. And Maddie Williams, I don't want to leave out Maddie Williams, uh, just recently had four assists against uh, the Red Raiders. She's the only Oklahoma player 
to have 2,000 points, 850 rebounds, and 300 assists in her career. So congratulations to Maddie. And again, this is a fun team to watch. So we'll see what happens with them. So Eli, before we wrap up, uh, I guess next week we'll be talking the final, we'll be finalizing this transfer portal, getting Ooh. ready for a little bit of a break before spring camp and getting ready for uh, just to see what happens in terms of uh, the 24 class. And it's almost like you think you can take a breath covering football, but I don't know if we'll, it never sleeps, does it? Football never sleeps. No, it doesn't. And uh, shoot, beyond football, we've got some Bedlam basketball next week. The men play in Stillwater Wednesday. And then what, The you mentioned the women. Is that next week? It is. Yeah, 21st at 6 p.m. And that one's in Norman. So no reason that to not show out for that. And I, I just, you know, keep your eyes out. I'm going to be ramping up my gymnastics coverage. They're getting started. They open on the 22nd in Norman. Uh, after wrapping up, uh, they, they just went to Las Vegas and cleaned up. It was yeah. them and some of the other elite programs in the country. And the defending national champ showed up, took care of their business. They got a trip to Baton Rouge, and then they opened with Utah at home. Uh, and, man, if, if uh, we've got softball to look forward to, but maybe the, the most competitive team on campus might be that gymnastics squad right now. Yeah, I got some softball stuff coming up, and baseball is going to be right around the corner. Uh, you're talking about a national champion and a national runner-up in those two sports. Yeah. Gymnastics, you got national champions, and you got uh, a national force in the men. So it, it's going to be a busy spring. One last thing before I forget, uh, I, I think you have a bullseye on your back. I don't know if you're glutton for punishment. Ranking the top 10 Big 12 basketball teams. That's right. Every Monday, you are going to have a power pull. Yep. And that's going to be the hardest power pull in the world to do because there's so much parity, so much closeness. Uh, you had what? Where do you have OU and OSU this week? Oh, let me just to make sure I have it right. And I can say, yeah, it was week one might have been my easiest job because it was week one. You could, there, mm. you know, the games were what they were, but I, it might get a lot harder for me here. Let's see, just to be, to be certain. Now, this is at the end of basically through three league yeah. games. Uh, I had I had Oklahoma State edging the Sooners, so they were sixth, and OU was seventh, and that was down to I mean comparing them after last week was pretty difficult, and it was really down to I think uh, the Sooners or the Oklahoma State probably the best win at the time, um, and and but now you know both have lost midweek in the state of Kansas. We'll see what they do this weekend, and I think these these rankings are about to get a whole lot harder on me. What a fun basketball conference, man. It really is. Again, there's no gimmies on that list. I mean, TCU played Texas tough yesterday. I mean, any home game, there's no guarantees even when we're playing on at home. So, Eli, we'll be looking forward to that every Monday. Yeah. And for everyone else, uh, we thank you for watching this podcast, listening to it, wherever you get your platform, whatever platform you use, what we get. So you name them, Eli. Uh, well, everywhere you get your podcast, I mean, Spotify, Google, Apple. Apple. Everywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've got a whole lot of other podcasts at the Tulsa World. We've got the OU, uh, OSU podcast. There's a lot going on in Stillwater. Kelly Hines is back on TU and covering all the ongoings there. The new staff, uh, some intriguing basketball teams. We've got plenty going on at, at the Tulsa yeah. World. Okay, Preps Extra. There's a high school podcast. Yes, Bill Haston has a podcast as well, too. So uh, thoughts and prayers to Dean Rule, our colleague at the Tulsa World, who is covering <laughs> Everything happening in Stillwater. It seems like every day there's something going on. So but keep up with Dean's all of Dean's coverage because he's on top of everything. So uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week on this uh, Oklahoma uh, football, basketball, softball, baseball, <laughs> gymnastics podcast. Thanks a bunch.